This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. So women's quarterfinals day has come and gone and Catherine Whitaker, Matt Roberts, myself, David Law and special guest Charlie Eccleshared here. Hello, Charlie. Hi, David. How are you? Right? I'm all right. I'm all right. We've had lots happening today, including the defeat of Johanna Conter, which is kind of the lead story today for us here. Serena Williams has also gone through. She had a really tight match with Alison Riss. That was an absolutely brilliant match. Uh, and then Williams just <laughs> seemed to be high on life when she was playing alongside Andy Murray as they got through into round three of the mixed doubles. We've just had that. But let's start at the important stuff here because first of all, what happened to Johanna Conter? Beaten in straight sets today by Barbara Stritzer from a position of authority. Catherine Whittaker, start us off. Well, I think Simon Briggs jinxed her. Oh, right. So it's definitely Simon's fault. <laughs> yeah, Simon's, Simon's departing words last <laughs> night were Conta's going to win the title when Stritzkova's not in the mix. Oh, dear. <laughs> that's why he doesn't do predictions anymore. <laughs> that's why he's on the tennis podcast, because that's what we do. <laughs> OK, so what happened to her? Do you think? Uh, I think... Uh, uh, I think she didn't. She did not play a good match. She she served horribly. Um, she she. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what happened. It's. I, I mean, I don't. I. I am. I'm loath to use words like choke or capitulation. Or I cannot. I cannot believe that what happened at the French Open in the semi-final. Those two set points she had, particularly the. The, the forehand put away that she missed at the French Open I can't believe that that didn't cross her mind at, at some point today possibly at 4-1 in, in the first set when she was leading it lo- I mean I I was watching thinking oh this is disappointingly easy this was is disappointingly pedestrian I, 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 as a Brit I want Conta to win but I'd rather it was a great match and a great spectacle was and she then- playing well to 4-1? Yeah, she did. She was really solid. Um, she was the stronger player. She was hitting her spots. I think the similarity with the French as well, the, that matchup. I did think before Stritzova looked like being an awkward one. She does struggle with those sort of players. And once Stritzova got in her head, it, it did unravel quite quickly. The, yeah, I mean, obviously, Stritzova a righty, Von Druscheva, the French Open, a lefty. But there are some similarities mm. in the sort of the fact that they both deploy variety, drop shots, 
And I think Stritzka did play quite a smart match in throwing Conta off her rhythm in terms of not giving her the same ball in, in the way that maybe Stevens and Petra Kvitova did in the previous rounds. A slightly easier ball to hit, whereas Stritzka was slicing and sort of using the whole court. And I think that did get in Conta's head. And once it did, the errors just sort of spiralled out of control in the second set. And I suspect Stritzover as well, on some level, took uh, confidence from knowing what Von Drusova had done. It looked as though Stritzover, once she started to mess her around, started to think, mm, I'm pretty sure I've got her here. I wonder if they even spoke about it beforehand, you know, because two Czech players, are, you know, share notes, not that dissimilar, although, as you say, Matt, lefty and righty, but both employ shorter balls and angles and spins and I don't think Joe Conta loves to generate everything herself does she she mm. doesn't like to generate the pace I don't think she loves to generate the play I think she likes being an aggressive counterpuncher um, and she absolutely couldn't be that today and I think I don't she didn't she didn't play Barbora Stritzova did she she kind of just was in her own world, it was a little bit Joe Conta of old. There was it was Stritzva that did did the figuring out today, and Conta kind of did the reverse. She got figured out. The other thing that has struck me, as well as the Von Drusova and this match, she also lost in the end pretty meekly in straight sets two years ago in the semi-finals here, albeit to Venus Williams. But these are big match occasions where I think in all of them we've expected more. Well, yeah, and in all of those three matches, as soon as the first set went, the match just just went as well. And did any? I mean, did any of you think after she lost the first set, she was coming back? There was a moment around about four-one down in the second where she won a couple of points, and I just, my mind just kept going back to all the wins she's had from behind, and mm. I'm thinking if she could just click into gear here and start playing solid tennis, this could still turn. But then she hit. I mean, she must have hit two or three in a row that were m- meters out. And it was, it was really quite jarring to see that. And all tournament, her game has been built around her serve, hasn't it? Her serve has been such a notable strength all tournament. And it was, it was really, really off the boil today. And even when it was going in, points one on it were, I think she was only around 50% points one on her first serve for the match, which indicates sort of a loss in, just a loss in confidence around, around everything to do with her serve, I think. And... Yeah, it did. I mean, I th- I thought Charlie, if she, I, if she could have got that set, I mean, the record speaks for itself, mm-hmm. doesn't it? She's she's the favourite to win from there. But though, yeah, there was there was disappointingly little challenge in the second set. But there have been plenty of matches this tournament where I've expected less from her, and she's delivered more. It's just obviously this was True, the one that yeah. mattered the most. And and this was the match, the first match in a couple of rounds where she was the clear favourite going into yeah. it I think against Stevens and against Kvitova most probably had that both matches fairly 50-50 that was what worried me about today mm. <laughs> what was how much she was going in as the favourite and I just thought that it felt eerily similar to the French Open where having beaten where the French obviously having beaten Stevens and I mean her forehand today it, it almost looked like she had the yips yeah. towards the end really struggling we've talked ourselves back to the original point which was it is all Simon Briggs's fault <laughs> <laughs> um, now I should say that that's re- generally the answer <laughs> yeah, I, I, I usually fall back on that um, now the reason we've started off talking about Conta's 
defeat rather than Serena Williams' win, which I think on a global scale is the bigger deal, and we are a global tennis podcast. The reason I've started off on Contras is actually because of the press conference that she went into afterwards, in which I wasn't in there, I don't think any of us were, but we've seen a clip of a succession of questions and answers. Um, and this followed... I think really Conta probably just explaining away the defeat in in probably, from a journalistic perspective, a fairly unsatisfactory manner. She wasn't really giving concrete reasons for it. She was effectively sort of saying, I don't really have any regrets. Now, upon saying uh, she she was explaining why Stritzova had won, I couldn't find an answer for it today, and that's what made her good. The next question was, looking at numbers, 33 unforced errors, then you had a smash at the net, which you hit straight to her, then towards the end of the third set you had a double fault, then missed a drive volley. Do you not have to look at yourself a little bit about how you cope with these big points? It's all very well saying it's a lot to do with your opponent, but there were key points when you perhaps could have done better. She responded, is that in your professional tennis opinion? He said, no, that's just as watching as, as a watching spectator with everyone else on centre court willing you on, and the numbers are IBMs. Okay, I mean, I don't think you need to back on, pick on me in a harsh way. I think I'm very open with you guys. I'll say how I feel out there. If you don't want to accept that answer or you don't agree with it, that's fine. I still believe in the tennis that I play. I still believe in the way I competed. I don't have much else to say. He said, I'm just asking you as somebody who presumably wants to go on from here, learn from this and win a Grand Slam one day. Is it not something? And she said, please don't patronize me. He said, I'm not patronizing you. She said, no, you are. In the way you're asking your question, you're being quite disrespectful and you're patronising me. I'm a professional competitor who did her best today and that's all there is to it. Now, we've all seen that. I listened to it in the Five Live commentary box. Um, I have to say, sitting alongside Laura Robson and Mark Woodford, we all kind of just shuddered, really. It was, it was really uncomfortable to listen to it. Um, I personally... I, I believe in robust questioning of, of interviewees and sometimes the questions you ask are not comfortable to ask and we don't necessarily like having to do it but they need to be asked um, Russell Fuller who was on air uh, coming out of that press conference said that he, he definitely feels that she has some, some um, strong answers to, to, or some strong questions to answer but that in his view um, he wouldn't have asked those questions in that manner and that he also said I don't believe those questions would have been asked in that way if Andy Murray was sitting in that chair um, and I, 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 I think I might agree what do you think Charlie? I think that's true but I also don't think Andy Murray would be asked those questions because I think this didn't happen in isolation it's a consequence of a sort of simmering tension that's been there for a long time because you know on one hand Conta feels that the media are out you know to get not to get her but you know like to poke at her and prod at her and I think the media feel that Conta gives the same answers after every defeat and isn't as engaging Andy Murray's a good a good comparison because I think Andy gives more varied uh, and I think some would argue considered answers so I think this was the culmination of months and months years worth probably of tension and I'm not saying who's right or wrong, but I just think that partly explains... I, I just don't think Joe Conta gets asked that question in that way were it not for many, many experiences of her saying very similar things. Um, do, you, do you think that uh, that question, those questions were fair, fair cop then? I think they were, yeah. I think um, 
you know, and I think her response is, it's absolutely, you know, she she was upset, she found it, and I completely see that, and, and may, maybe it went a bit too far, but I think it is, um, I just think it's a consequence of simmering tension for a long time. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, I, I know the journalist, and, uh, and I, I think the questions were, were fair. I personally didn't particularly enjoy the tone. Um, and uh, I must, I must, I haven't, I've only seen them written down. Yeah. I've not been in the press, so I haven't, I can't comment on the tone. And whether it was threatening or not, which I, I just, I, I can't say. No, I wouldn't say it was, I wouldn't use the word threatening. It was, no, it was, it it was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable. And, it, and as I say, press conferences can be uncomfortable at times. And I've, look, I've sat in many a, a Joe Conta press conference and been immensely frustrated with, with her answers, without question. I, I agree with the simmering tension. I agree with the frustration she she very rarely and I think very consciously gives quotable bite-sized nuggets and she's you know she even when she prior to actually giving an incredibly quotable very articulate very interesting answer about the scheduling in Paris she prefaced Mm. it by saying I'm not going to give you guys the quote that I know you want and then gave some really really interesting quotes you know she's conscious of that all the time and it does lead to, to tension and I think it is completely legitimate and perhaps overdue for her to be probed a bit further. Um, I, however, I think the way it was done was outrageous and disrespectful and really uncomfortable and exposed... exposed... Um, exposed a situation which is that that every time she and any other female player walk into that press conference room, they're being grilled by a room full of mostly middle-aged white guys, aren't they? You know, it is not a diverse room and there is a big power imbalance. And, you know, this you might think, oh, gender doesn't come into it. It does. You're sitting in front of a bunch of people that that you feel don't necessarily understand you. They're not they're not necessarily on your wavelength it is and it's something that i don't think the majority of that room necessarily it even crosses their mind i don't think it crossed that journalist's mind today that that dynamic that power dynamic that gender dynamic and i think it crosses joe conter's mind every time she walks into that room it crosses my mind every time i walk into that room and i'm not on the being grilled side of it i'm on i'm on the same side of it all and to be on the the opposing side I can only imagine and sometimes I do catch myself when I sit in Joe Conter press conferences and feel the same frustration that I'm sure all of them felt today and I do sympathise with it sometimes I catch myself and I think this is really difficult what she and everyone is having to do and and I and I reprogram myself to feel still frustrated <laughs> but maybe in a slightly more understanding sympathetic way I, th- I think as well one of the tricky things with these press conferences is it's so short a time mm. after a, an absolutely crushing moment for a player and that's that element of it is not the journalist's fault uh, situationally because 
they don't they don't get given another chance to speak to to mm. the player we're all just in this situation you guys are uh, tight on deadlines we've got to try and get quotes in before our programs end and the player frankly probably just wants to get out of there so it's 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 not an ideal situation and he will and again this is not to I mean I can speak in generalities but you know in a situation like that he'll have an editor saying to him look we need a decent line this is a massive front page story Joe Conter's out of Wimbledon we need something better than it's you know part of the process and I did my best out there so he, and I'm not saying that justifies but it's just an additional thing to consider which and again we're coming at it from such different points of view because that's not her issue at all and I'm not saying it is but that's just the sorts of pressures he might be under but if it were a room full of people that somebody like Joe Conta could relate to better you'd probably get better quotes out of her I'm sh- if, if the female if the female players were coming in to a room full of full of people they felt comfortable with and could relate to and felt like understood them I think it's a chicken and egg situation here. Joe Conter is on the defensive, and, and many players are, because of that seemingly immovable situation, which is you're walking into a room feeling feeling on the back foot, feeling other. You mm. walk into that room, and as a woman, you feel an outsider. Even though you're the one in the chair, you're the one that's, as Joe Conter said, put up your best effort out there, been one of the world's best tennis players and yet you still feel an outsider I don't want to put words in her mouth but <laughs> that's that's how I'm guessing she feels in that room and it's incredibly tough and the lack of diversity in journalism is a massive massive issue and if this has the effect of um, you know <laughs> bring that out then that can only be a good thing and not just sport by the way as, yeah. as a whole industry mm. yeah okay well that's uh, that's that covered and uh, and i think uh, thank you both for your for your contributions about that because i think it is a very interesting talking point generally and i mean i've spent 20 years being in press conferences of all different types and it and it it is an unusual dynamic it is not anything like you have in normal life really mm. um and uh anyway it's it's one thing we want to be able to do is is give you as as listeners an idea of of a how a journalist is going about their business and how a player might feel and, and as Catherine's articulated so well there I think the other elements and dynamics at play which maybe aren't completely immediately obvious to everybody in, in the room because of, of their various different experiences because of, because of their privilege mm. indeed even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. 
being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, tennis on the court. <laughs> uh, I mentioned Serena Williams. Let's, go, let's rewind to, to that match because... It was it was one of the matches of the tournament. Um, Alison Risk was just so good to watch because she didn't freeze for a second. She, I mean, I think she hit maybe two or three double faults that she might go to bed and, and sort of have nightmares about. But apart from that, I mean, she played a level that I was not expecting her to be able to play and sustain. And she really rocked Serena Williams today. What did you think, Matt? It was all about the ban. <laughs> explain explain <laughs> well it was yeah as you said risk was playing magnificently and how i mean how many times have you seen a player go up against serena williams push her in the first set but lose it and then completely fade away in the second set risk did not do that at all she stuck right at her and won that second set with fantastic tennis and then it was three all in the final set and serena put her hair in a bun and because it was getting in her way, wasn't it was getting it? in her way because yeah. of the, the, it was a bit windy and it was it was it was in her face. And there's this there is this long <laughs> sort of history of Serena putting her hair in a bun and things turning round. Well, Chanda Rubin, who was commentating with me, immediately said, "Uh oh, she's gone to the business bun." Well, <laughs> seriously. Well, those are Serena's and she, words. And, and she, she calls it the business. She said bum. this. This. She said, "No, no, this is a thing." <laughs> yeah. Watch out, Alison. <laughs> and it was. It was. It, suddenly, she just looked so fierce and and on it. And I thought, won the oh, next like, six points. I think. Yeah. It. And her intensity levels just went up hugely when you know coincided with that. With the band, um, <laughs> and she kept it for the mixed as well. Yeah, where she would play. When per- she was she awesome performance. Of a, she just said it was the once in a lifetime returning. She said she'll. Ne- she said don't expect me to ever do that again. No, she I'm returned. Just put a- my microphone down and put my hair in a bun. <laughs> <laughs> she returned a 138 mile an hour serve from Fabrice Martin for a clean winner. Which, <laughs> which Matt? is, which shout out to I think David Smith. He's called on Twitter. Pointed out that that is seven miles an hour faster than the fastest ever recorded serve in women's tennis. And she just dealt with it yeah. so easily, just hit it straight away. for a clean winner. And to be honest, she completely destroyed Fabrice Martin's serve the whole match, really. There was one, that where, one where she was laughing, and then yeah. he was like, and everyone was just like, what is and, going on And there was, here? An, there was just an angle she hit at forehand return where, I mean, that angle did not exist, and she found it for a clean winner and sort of roared at the same time and almost did a twirl at the and same time the she crowd response to it was such that she ended up and and w- was <laughs> was so vociferous and so extended that she ended up having to do a slightly sheepish yes serena williams sheepish kind of like okay stop now guys i've yeah. had my <laughs> i've had sufficient plaudits for that shot 
Um, Andy Murray was was also present for all yeah. of this. <laughs> what, what, what was it? You know that someone said that Peter Fleming quote about you know the best doubles partnership is John McEnroe and anyone yeah. else, and yeah, you could say Serena Williams, the best mixed doubles partnership. I mean, Murray, he is <laughs> really <laughs> lucked out. Yeah. I mean, she would have won with me today. Yeah, yeah, and. Yeah, Murray wasn't far off you today. I don't know what your level is, but he, 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 it was not his best he day. He didn't know his best time no. today, but did he? he? Didn't need to. But I must say, going back to Serena in the singles, I was thinking back to her pre, her most recent quarterfinal at a slam, which was the Pliskova match in Australia, and how different it was at the business end today. In Australia, it was like the match just slipped through her fingers and she had no control over what happened when she had that 5-1 lead and suddenly she lost it. Today, she grabbed control of that match and just seized it, and there was literally nothing that Risk could do about it at the end. And it was such a difference in the feel of the match compared to that one in Australia. And I think it's evidence of Serena being in a much better place now. Well, the knee is, in her words, not bothering her, and it clearly has been really bothering her mm. for a while. Plus, I think this mixed doubles is doing her good. I think oh, it's, yeah. I think it's improving her mood for a start. I think she's a she's in a happier place generally. It takes some of the pressure off, and I think it's it's court time, isn't it? I think her mm. keeping busy and being able to play a lot is good for her. I also think uh, Ash Barty did her a massive favour yesterday by getting knocked out by Risk, because I think that just sharpened Serena's mind. I, I, I think if Risk hadn't pulled off that upset, it's, it's just possible that Serena might have had you know, a smidgen less intensity today, and I think that could have been the difference. I think she was so dialled in. She was playing Risk as if she was playing the world number one Ash Barty, because Risk's level had been so good. She went out there, she was like, I've got to absolutely bring it from the first ball today. I also thought that I know I know I think we we differ a bit on on court coaching but I also thought the end of that match today was a perfect example for me of why I don't like on court coaching. Serena had to figure that out herself right at the end. She was in a sticky situation there <laughs> and to be able to show that it all came from her in that moment I just think is something that we need to keep in tennis and she was saying to herself after she she had a double fault I think as she was serving for the match but and the mic picked up on her saying, it's okay, it happens. I mean, to have that awareness in that moment of the match, I think is extraordinary. Mm. And, you know, we don't see Serena use on-court coaching on the tour. And I think it Not does help Patrick her. Patrick would mm. love her too. And I think it does help her in moments it's, like that. I have to say, you make a very convincing and compelling argument. I mean, what, what do you think? It, it, we have always loved on-court coaching, Catherine, you and I, I think generally. I, I certainly have uh, yeah. in terms of the insight. I've enjoyed the headset coaching. But there have been a, two or three occasions this week when I have seen somebody sort themselves out on the court and thought, there, re- there really is an appeal to this mm. as well. And I, so I don't know where I stand there. I don't know what to do. But doesn't it like, sorry, Catherine, just with so many of these things, I think there's a divide between your tennis aficionados and your casual fan. Because I can totally see why for the casual fan, it's quite a cool novelty. You've got someone coming down and, you know, they're having this conversation, sometimes they're having arguments. You know, these are little moments of drama that are easy to package and sell to your floating fan. And really, they're not going to be picking up on the nuances like someone like Matt will of a player working it out. Those working it out things are great for aficionados. You know, you can be like, that's so interesting, that's fascinating. So I think so many of these things you have to step out from, you know, we're in this tennis bubble and, and think about how it is for your casual fan and there's often yeah. a difference yeah it's always it's almost cheating for the fans isn't it it's a shortcut it's like in TV programmes when they break the fourth wall and speak mm. to camera I always think that's just a really lazy narrative 
tool because you you can't be bothered to to show us mm-hmm. what the that what the characters are thinking. It's like it's it's a bit like that. Well, the, the, the not fi- everyone's looking at me blankly. <laughs> no, no, like it's not I, a I tool like mean. that. The, the fifth set thing is is also another one of these because I I, I found myself having woken up at four a.m. this morning um, watching old That's YouTube. The night time, David, <laughs> not I the know, morning. I didn't try to sleep, but I couldn't. Anyway, I ended up watching the last two games of Goran Ivanisevic <laughs> against Pat Rafter. At four o'clock in the morning in, the in 2019. In the 2001 Wimbledon final. And, I mean, look, in any case, even in isolation, those two games, I, I was in floods of tears watching it. It's because it was the middle of the night. You shouldn't have, like, anything Eight, would make me cry at 4 o'clock in the morning. 18 years on, and I'm still crying at those two, two games. Uh, and incidentally, that when, when, I, when that happened live, uh, I, 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 I'll just tell this story very quickly. Uh, I was in... Uh, the David Law archive. I was in Gestad in, in the tournament there in the, the player lounge, uh, surrounded by players, and Ivan Lubicic was there, and he was sobbing throughout the whole match. Uh, unable to, to handle it. Charlie Eccleshow was in centre court. I was there, and it was one of the best, best memories ever. It was absolutely amazing. Oh, yeah, man, you're really... so lucky. And yeah. as you pointed out on Twitter today, genuinely yeah. a sporting moment which can never, ever be replicated. Yeah, because... the, the fact they have the roof now means you won't, we won't have a Monday final like that. And the Monday final meant that it was all open to the public. And it, and it was. I mean, that's... So that's why the atmosphere was like it was. I mean, it was all people who camped out overnight. It was all people just desperate to be there, and it was so magical. And I remember getting in, and it was unreserved seating, and um, it was me, my brother, and a friend of ours. And he was like a champion sprinter. So, and it was all unreserved seating. And bear in mind, his competition was mainly sixty-year-old women. We just said to him, Dan. You, we told him exactly what seats we wanted. The gates open. He just bolted and got us these <laughs> the best seats in the house. It was. Just one of those magical how, days. How many elderly women did he force out of the way en route? <laughs> Enough. Yeah, it, it, it was, you know, all bets were off. And it was one of those, I mean... Who were you supporting? Well, I, I loved Pat Rafter growing up. He was my favourite player. I, lo- I loved his volleys. I loved just the way he played and his manner. I thought he was great. But I obviously loved the Goran story as well. So it was one of those where I, was, I, w- I wanted Rafter before, but I think towards the end, you just couldn't really not want Goran. Matt, were you alive at this point? I was alive, yeah. Okay. Do you remember Do you, it? No. Have you watched it back? I've watched it back, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, of course. Anyway, the point I, I was making... I Charlie in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> the, the point I was making about, about the fact... Uh, using that as an example, because that had gone five sets, and I then watched straight after the last game of the Andy Murray 2013 final. Uh, stop looking at me like that. And um, the, the thing is, these were after these, these marathons to get to that point that's why it ends up meaning so much to people isn't it and you don't want to lose that from the game and at the same time I totally take your point that if you just hang on for those moments is that enough is that enough to sort of force the rest of the potential viewing public who might not be bothered to watch those first three and a half sets to 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 turn them off yeah I'm surprised by how many like even someone like Billie Jean King who I would have thought would be a kind of tennis purist she was saying 100% make men's grand slam matches best of three but a lot of the players feel the same way and they think it's just too much and it's not to grow the sport it's impossible with best of five sets and I think the mixed doubles that we're seeing with uh, Mary and Serena throws an interesting yes sort of extra curveball in because I don't want to lose five sets but 
but I do want more of that. I do want more mixed doubles. And if 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 men's tennis was best of three, would more of them sort of play mixed doubles? And well, what, I've already come up with a solution. Yeah, we, we've sorted. I don't know why yeah. anyone is still debating it. We've sorted mm. it. It's yeah. done. Get rid of best of five doubles here. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah that it is. absolutely has to it go. Is. And then first four rounds, best of three sets, quarterfinals onwards, best of five. Has anybody? Is anybody? I suppose it's the status quo. So you don't have to defend it, but. Has anybody from Wimbledon sort of explained why that's still a thing, despite every single human being on the planet saying <laughs> it, it shouldn't be? Haven't had Tim Hemmen on yet, but we will. We will. The uh, only thing, I guess, point. would be to protect the purity of doubles. But I mean, I, I'm not for a second <laughs> suggesting I support that argument. And what's so ridiculous about it is it means you don't get the singles players playing in it. Mm. Yeah. You know, someone like Kyrgios said he just he can't play men's doubles because he's playing for best of five singles. I mean, he actually could have done. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Right, so let's crack on. What else happened today? We had Simona Halep winning through. Uh, she She came from behind, didn't she, to win? Uh, yeah. In the first set she did, yeah. Yeah, she, she, she was early. down early against Zhang, who was just mullering the ball. She's such a flat hitter and had beaten Halep a couple of times before, but I thought it was really interesting. As Serena was kind of fighting back against Risk, Halep was doing the same, but in a totally different way. Serena was sort of taking charge of the match, but Halep was digging in and just extending the rallies and using her movement. And She had a, a scare on the ankle in the previous round. Was she moving okay? She was moving extremely <laughs> okay. well. Yeah, extremely well. I think a UFO might be coming down. <laughs> what is that? Oh my goodness, it's, it's coming for me. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it was, so. it was interesting, So just on Halep, after she beat Azarenka, I said to her, you know, with Barty, who we thought was a grass court specialist winning Roland Garros, can the you know you as the clay court expert expert went on grass and she said we in the media make too much of those surface differences and actually for the players they're all good enough and consistent enough to be yeah, able to do it on anything except Alison Risk <laughs> yeah but Alison Risk is a bit of an anomaly there aren't many I mean I think there used to be a lot more players like that who would come along and, and really have these runs I certainly think on the men's side you get far fewer of them Yes, on the men's side there are fewer than there used to be but then there's never been a seeding formula in women's indicating they've never felt there's been enough of a mm. surface specialty to, to to warrant it. But Halep's coach, whose name I... Daniel Dobre, Dober, Dobre, said to you in Paris about how they were sort of targeting the grass. I've forgotten that, Matt. <laughs> yeah. And, and they did, didn't why they? Why haven't I been talking about <laughs> yeah. that more? That was Catherine's interview. Uh, yeah. Very good. I did pick her for my final. You did. did you? I've got a losing was, to Serena in the final. It, yeah. It, oh. I, I only remember that today. It's That's, great, isn't it? It was yeah. in your. So it was in your subconscious. That. Yeah. Uh, that he said completely unsolicited. I was. No one had mentioned Wimbledon. Um, and uh, you should give yourself more credit. I, I thought maybe it was a mind game to try and alleviate the French Open pressure. It was before that Anisimova uh, quarterfinal. Um, and he said, well, what, ha- what happens here? You know, it's a bonus. Wimbledon was always our target for this year. That's so cool. Do you want to hear something else fascinating about Simona Halep? I thought this was fascinating. <laughs> anyway, we, we had a little roundtable thing with her in Eastbourne. She said she'd rather win an Olympic medal, even a bronze, than a second Grand Slam. Oh, that's great. Oh, I love that. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, wow. Do you think, that's crazy. Do you think that's to do with how know. big a deal she is in Romania? Yeah, and definitely. What that, yeah. Because well, we, then we, we're like, you know, without wanting to sound rude, like, why? That's, <laughs> and, yeah, that's that was so a big reason why. Classic Halep, though, yeah. isn't it? I, I love that. She doesn't just follow the crowd, does she? She does 
it her way based on how she feels. I like that. Uh, Alina Svitolina is into the semi-finals of a Grand Slam for the first time in her career. And for, I think, I mean, maybe this is an example of a player who finally is playing without expectation on her shoulders. Mm. Yeah, she's the absolute nightmare for anyone anywhere trying to do predictions because she only ever has her runs when you're least expecting her to. Yes, you uh, you've you pointed out a very salient one yeah. earlier on Matt. She went into the WTA finals in Singapore last year having lost I think it was four of her last six matches and she was the one that everyone wanted to draw in the groups. She was sort of the what most people were thinking was, girl. Yeah, but she then went unbeaten and won the tournament and now she's come into Wimbledon having lost I think seven of her last nine matches carrying a bit of an injury I think through that period as well. And here she is in her first Grand Slam semi-final. And I'm not sure whether that's expectation being off, point to prove, just being happy that she's not injured. It, it could be a combination of all those things, probably. But she's, she's weathered a few storms through the tournament. Well, she's, when I think back to Margarita Gasparian, exactly. very easily mm. could have beaten her, was, was beating her mm. until she just physically... You know, seized up. Yeah, and um, she had a was it Sakari? She had a big battle with, and yeah. Petra Martic was a bit injured against her. But today, Svitolina beat Mukova fair and you know completely yeah. fair and square. Yeah, I think for her. I think Mukova was a little bit fatigued probably after that marathon she had yesterday with Pliskova. But Svitolina was so solid, and now she plays Halep, and she's got a winning record against Halep. Mm. So that's oh, an wow. interesting. That that could be a really semi-final. good match on grass because I don't think we've ever seen them play no. on grass before against each other. To repeat that quarterfinal from the in Paris the year Halep won it. Wasn't yes, it? which Svitolina should have yeah. won. Yeah, she was like five-one up in the second in the ti- set. Uh, yeah, and and there was a tiebreak, was, wasn't yeah. there? So. We know our semi-final lineup for the women's singles. The men's quarter-finals are tomorrow. We have Novak Djokovic opening the play. He is going to be up against David Goffin. Then it's Roger Federer against Kanish Khoury. Few people I've spoken to, including Laura Robson, are very surprised that Rafael Nadal versus Sam Querrey is on court number one. I think that that's Djokovic was on court one on Monday, though. He was the one in the hot seat. I think personally, I think it's the right decision. I think. Uh, I, I was talking more the about the other match. one. Oh, Federer. Yeah, because the thing is, they kind of have to play Nadal and Federer, one of those on court one, yes. because of them being in the same half of the draw, and uh, they want them to play yes. at the same time. Which Although I think they have is, a day off in between. No, but I think that that is fair. Nobody can say, "Oh, well, you know, I okay. I finished at eight o'clock and he finished at three o'clock," you know, and got okay. five extra hours and jacuzzi, <laughs> which is what I'm sure tennis players think all the time. Um, but you know. I don't know. I, I, I was just. A, I do think when you look at them on paper, at least, query Nadal. I think there is an argument for bit that being the because you the think best it'll match. be a. Well, no. well I mean, <laughs> no. again, query beat Murray. Query beat Djokovic. Who does this at slams? Guys that have the fortune to stumble upon them. When has David Goffin ever we... done that? When has Kane Ishikori ever done okay, that? Okay, fine. He's okay, not doing Nishikori it tomorrow. Did it Nishikori Nishikori once. Yeah. 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 He's not going to do it tomorrow. Charlie, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think Query, he's one of those in theory has the massive game, so could just blow Nadal off the court, but with, with it playing slower and with Nadal being he won't, will Nadal, he? he's just, I, I don't see The way Nadal's, I mean. But I don't see any of them, so it's. A, you don't think a, anybody will beat. No, sorry, I don't think any of those three tomorrow will be okay. upsets or even close to upsets. Right, okay, so. so it's kind of, it's all about Pella Bautista. Yeah, that should be on centre. That should be a <laughs> yeah. cracking match. What do you think the uh, the semi finals will be then? Do you, so you think the three will go through Bautista or Gut against Pella? Bautista or Gut? Yeah. Yeah, he's got a strong head to head, hasn't he? Has he? 
think so. Not dropped a set so far. I mean, look, Djokovic surely is the favourite based on the sheer fact that he's the one who doesn't have to play the other two. Yeah, well, well we Matt and I were discussing this. this earlier, and I have. Rev- I'm still, I think, for some illogical reason, uh, slanting towards Nadal, but he's I, re- I revoke my um, emphaticness from last night on subsequent to a conversation Matt and I had, which uh, during which it emerged exactly how rare it is for one of those three to beat the other two in the same slam I don't we don't think Federer's ever done it Federer's never won a slam beating Djokovic and Nadal Um, wow and we think Nadal Nadal has done it at the French a long time ago yeah he did it I think in 08 when he beat Djokovic when Djokovic wasn't quite Djokovic and then Djokovic has done it I remember at the US Open in 2011 he beat Federer with that forehand to save match point that they were called a lucky forehand or something (laughs) and then he beat Nadal in the final but it is incredibly rare for them to beat two of the others, mm. especially back to back. So yeah, I do think Djokovic has a big edge in that mm. in that respect. Oh, can't wait! I still think Nadal can do that. It, mm. it, that seriously makes me throw Federer at the bottom of the three Nadal significantly. Has never looked the, better. The odds has for Nadal he? and Federer are the, uh, the same. Are they really? Yeah. With wow. with uh, Djokovic a heavy. Heavy favourites still ahead of both wow. of them. Which must speak to that. And Paul Fultz agrees, by the way. So, um, you know. Great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, on that note, uh, Charlie, thanks for your company. Pleasure. As always, Matt, go and uh, rest up. I will. Big day of stats to prepare tomorrow. Uh, Catherine, thanks for your company, as always, here on the Tennis Podcast. Thank you all for your company as well. Before you go, uh, I'd just like to... Um, let you know a message we received today from a Simon Huggins who we, we have a lot of nice emails via our website you can you can get in touch with us te- tennispodcast.net um, we get lots of nice tweets as well uh, messages on Facebook and one we had though today from Simon informing us that he's not on Twitter but he just felt he had to write and, and tell us how much he enjoyed yesterday's episode here from Wimbledon. He, he reckons it was the best one he's heard us do so thank you very much for that Simon but we also know from his email that Simon is currently at home and listening to our shows in the mornings while he undergoes chemotherapy at home so it's obviously a, a really tough time for him. We We're really just happy that if our show can bring some kind of respites and and help that process go a little bit quicker and hopefully a little bit easier um you know obviously we're we're really really happy about that and uh simon just for you brackets and a little bit for me i will bring biltong to all future podcasts (laughs) because that's the key and also simon briggs will appear yeah Yeah. and a one line one wine law as well Uh, (laughs) anyway we're thinking of you simon get well um thank you all for listening and supporting us over the the years generally and we do get a lot of nice emails we do and it really is heartwarming i have to say um and we 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 want to obviously carry on and do as many of these shows as we possibly can we love it we do and uh, um, we thank you for supporting our kickstarter every december which we'll be running again to try to make uh, make it as big a show as we possibly can in 2020 but for now we've got another half of the year to go including the rest of our dailies at wimbledon uh dailies at the u.s open uh we are brought to you in association with the telegraph executive produced by tennisballs.com and uh, uh mascot is rio with a y 
Is there anything else I've forgotten, folks? Well, there's something I've forgotten to mention. <laughs> oh, twice. Yeah. Which is actually rather twice appropriate. Today. Okay. T- today we had the first 12-all final set tie-break. Oh, my goodness. And I missed it at the time, and I've, miss- I've forgotten to mention it again on the podcast. <laughs> In the nick of time! Yeah. Well done, Matt that, Roberts. That was uh, Continent and Piers over Ram and Salisbury in the doubles. Okay. All right. Well, fine. Uh, at least we've had one. <laughs> None of us saw it. None of us saw it. <laughs> but we're told it happened. Um, but anyway, we'll be back with another tennis podcast tomorrow after those men's singles quarterfinals. Uh, thanks for your company. We'll see you tomorrow. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.